Welcome to the Climate Report. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 293. Today's topic is how ecosystems work and why it matters. So what prompted this topic? Well, I have a natural interest in ecosystems. I'm president of the local native plant society called Wild Ones Louisville. I've taken some time to inform myself about ecosystems and teach on the subject and promote what's needed for uh, ecosystems. So there's this natural interest. And then uh, out comes the Biden climate plan that has almost nothing intelligent to say about, uh, about ecosystems, about forests, about our natural land, I mean, our uh, public lands, or about you know, smart farming, biologically, ecologically smart farming. So Biden's climate plan has almost nothing to say about our ecosystems and but ecosystems are vitally important in fact our loss of biodiversity is one of the most important things we can be looking at this is the climate report but i've i've never abandoned the notion that there's something that's equally important as climate and that is biological diversity we are in the sixth great extinction in earth's history the fifth great extinction was the one that killed the dinosaurs 65 million years ago. This is the first great extinction that has been caused by a species, and that species is you and me. So Biden's climate plan wants to do a little of this and a little of that. Fine, but this is not really doing anything for me in terms of how are you going to address the sixth great extinction? How are you, are you we, we, can, we can decarbonize and do what we think we need to do for the climate, but if we don't do what we need to do for our natural systems, it doesn't matter what we do for climate. In fact, if I were an evil genius, an evil mastermind who wanted to do away with the human race, I would get humans to hyper-focus on carbon and decarbonization. And I would want them to think that as long as we're decarbonizing, we're doing our good deed. When in fact, you can decarbonize all you want. And it doesn't matter if you continue to undermine the, our natural systems. It doesn't matter. Decarbonization does not matter if we continue to decimate all of the forests of the world, for example. So that's why I wanted to talk about how ecosystems work and why it matters. So I have a handy dandy numbered list of uh, items to discuss in the way of how ecosystems work and why it matters. Number one is why it matters. Number two is how they work. How do ecosystems work, really? Number three is what can we do in the public sphere? Number four is what can you do in your personal life or in your community? Number five is what should we learn and insist that our public officials learn as well? And number six, what is ecological farming? So let's start up at item number one, why it matters. It, how ecosystems work and why it matters. Why it matters that we should learn how ecosystems work and, and act accordingly. Because 
Ecosystems deliver to us vital services. I like what uh, Jill Stein said, Jill Stein, the Green Party candidate in 2016. She said, or she said that nature is the great economy. If we think we want economic growth or if we think we want a strong economy, but we're not attending to the great economy that is nature, then we've got another thing coming. And if you think about it, the purpose of an economy is to deliver to us what we need. That's why you know, politicians get on their stump and say, I'm going to do good things for the economy because they want us to think that by doing good things for the economy that it's going to do good things for us. We could talk about whether the economy delivers to us what we need or not, but that's a whole other conversation. Except to say that what they call the economy, gross domestic product, what are the economic indicators? Gross domestic product, how the stock market is doing, whether or not unemployment is high or low, and whether or not there is inflation. Those are like the four things that you hear over and over and over again ad nauseum, as if those indicators have anything to do with how people are doing. If we look just a little bit more closely, we will see that what's called the economy has virtually nothing to do with how people are doing, especially if you look on a net basis and you look at not only what are the benefits of this or that industry, what are the benefits of economic growth, but you look at the costs of this or that industry. You look at the costs of economic growth and you look at the alternatives. Like what is the end game here? What do we really want this economy to do for us? And what are the other ways we could get that done? So there's almost no critical thinking in the political sphere about whether or not we need an economy such as the one we have. Which is to say that if nature is the great economy, then we need to look at the things that nature delivers to us and then treat nature nicely so that nature will deliver to us what we actually need and not these bogus claims and promises that we get from politicians and from the media and from corporate America. So why does it matter? Why does it matter that we know how ecosystems work? Because deliver, uh, ecosystems deliver to us what we actually need. Ecosystems deliver to us clean air. Trees, for example, filter the air and we have cleaner air if we have trees. Trees also affect the water cycle so that in any given region, if you want to take a forest and turn it into a desert, all you have to do is get rid of the trees. If you want to take a desert and turn it into a place that has more water, then a giant step in the right direction is to provide it with the native trees that are natural to that biome. But that's another conversation. But ecosystems, especially trees and plants and the pollinator, they deliver to us clean air, 
They deliver to us oxygen. Ecosystems nurture and cultivate plants and plants deliver to us oxygen. We need oxygen in every breath we take. Furthermore, plants you know, absorb carbon dioxide and they breathe out oxygen. We breathe in that oxygen and we breathe out carbon dioxide. So carbon dioxide is an issue in that we, we would rather have oxygen. We need oxygen that plants give us, plus we need for plants to absorb the carbon dioxide that we exhale, and we need for plants to absorb the carbon dioxide that comes out of our tailpipes and our coal-burning power plants, etc. So we need for plants to absorb carbon and to deliver to us oxygen. In order for plants to absorb carbon and deliver oxygen, we need plants to exist. For plants to exist, they need pollinators. Pollinators come in many different forms. They're bees, butterflies, wasps, flies, even ants can be pollinators, even bats can be pollinators, even birds can be pollinators. There are many different kinds of pollinators. And in order for those pollinators to have a fighting chance, they need to not be destroyed with uh, pesticides, toxic chemicals, and they need to have a reasonable diversity of native plants. So if we have an absence of toxic pesticides, and if we have a reasonable diversity of native plants, then we can have birds, butterflies, bees, wasps, flies, ants, that serve as you know, a place for pollinators to live, and the pollinators help the plants live. So all of this is vital to us because we need those forests and we need those grasslands and we need those pollinator gardens and butterfly gardens to keep the insects alive, so as to keep the plants alive, so as to keep the birds alive, so that they can deliver to us oxygen, deliver to us clean air, uh, so they can absorb the carbon that we produce. So ecosystems are important because they deliver to us vital services and because you know we need ecosystems to compensate for the sixth mass extinction. One of the big reasons for the sixth mass extinction is we are losing our insects. We need our insects. I like saying question everything you've ever learned on TV because TV teaches you to be creeped out by bugs. But bugs are vital. We need bugs. We need insects. Nature if, is nothing if not a collection of ecosystems. We need that collection of ecosystems to, to provide a home for the insects, to provide food for the insects, and insects are vital to the entire rest of the food chain. So ecosystems are important because they deliver vital things to us and because we need to understand this in order to counteract the sixth mass extinction. So that's item one, why ecosystems matter. Item number two is how they work. The main thing we need to know about how ecosystems work is that we need the right plants. 
We need the plants to feed the insects. We need the insects to feed everything else. But we need the right plants. Generally, our insects cannot live in or among plants that come from other continents. The plants that come from other continents might be pretty, they might be nice, they might even be bug-free, which, which is a bad thing, not a good thing. But we need native plants in order to provide a home for our insects. For example, we need milkweed as a native plant. We need that for our monarch butterflies. We need uh, oak trees are a native plant. We need oak trees for over 500 species of caterpillars alone, not to mention all the other insects they support. We need native cherry trees because they provide a habitat for over 300 species of caterpillars alone, not to mention other insects plus birds and other animals that find food and shelter because of native cherry trees, not least of all your black cherry trees. So we need native plants, including native trees, but where do we need them? So we need them in our forests for one thing. So we need to cultivate our forests. We need to leave our forests alone. I mean, we need to uh, you know, not cut our forests down, but we don't need to leave them alone because we need to continually be about the task of removing native species from our forests. It's not too complicated. It takes a little bit of expertise. It takes some time and some money, and government needs to provide support for this Government needs to not be investing all of our money in the Pentagon so as to go to other countries and blow people up. Government needs to invest in the care of our forests by investing in knowledge of our people and the labor. Uh, you know, government needs to be able to pay people to care for our forests. Call them forest rangers. Call them park stewards. But we, as a society, we need to be spending our money on that instead of allowing our you know, young people to work in fast food and big box retail stores and all of the most destructive companies on the planet. So we need plants, we need, native, uh, we need native plants in our forests, we need those native forests to be growing, we need the native forests to be growing so that they absorb carbon, so that they give us oxygen, we need the native forests to be uh, catching the rain as it comes down because a rain that has fallen in a forest before it goes uh, into the waterways is going to be cleaner. That way we have cleaner water to drink. And if we have enough of those native forests, it will have a positive impact on our rainfall. So we said we need native plants in our forests and in our, uh, so where do we need native plants? We need them in our forests, we need them in our landscapes, and we need them on biologically diverse farms. We need to be training people to care for our forests, to care for our landscapes in a way that is ecological, 
and we need people who can care for our farms in a way that is ecological. So how do we care for our farms in a way that is ecological? I have five ways here that we can focus on a farming, a type of farming that is ecological. Number one, focus on people food. We need to grow food for people. We need to not dedicate so much of our farmland to food for animals. You know, animals should have food, and I'm not opposed to growing animals to uh, use for meat. But cows and pigs should not be eating grain, except sparingly. Cows and pigs can forage for their food. That's what they do in nature. So we should dedicate a lot less of our farmland to animal food. We should dedicate a lot less of our form, farmland for high-fructose corn syrup, which comes from genetically modified corn anyway. And genetically modified corn is bad because you have to use glyphosate, which is a carcinogen. It causes people to get cancer, and it also gets rid of weeds, which are actually wildflowers, which are needed for pollinators. So farming has a big impact on the surrounding ecology. We need to grow food for people, not for animals, and we need to, you know, we need to not be using our farmland to grow corn for ethanol or sugar for ethanol, which is a fuel. We need to not do that because it is a terrible use of our limited farmland. Number two way that we can uh, practice ecological farming is make sure that our farming is biologically diverse. So a good local farm needs to be biologically diverse as opposed to what? Well, you know, big industrial agriculture is, is, is monocrops. It's corn as far as the eye can see, or it's soybeans as far as the eye can see. It's one crop. That's bad for nature because nature is diverse. If you have a monolithic farm, then that crowds out nature. Our farms need not crowd out nature. That's why, but, we, but they do if they're too big and too monolithic. Plus, if a farm is biologically diverse, that means you have a variety of native plants in and around the farm. You have a variety of vegetables in and around the farm. You have a variety of animals. And, and these animals can mimic nature if you have enough of a diversity of animals. And that's good for the nutritional value of the food that comes off of the farm. Food that comes off of a farm that is not biolog biologically diverse cannot be very nutritious. If we want nutritious food, we need it to be on farms that are biologically diverse. We need our tomatoes and our lettuce and our carrots and our cucumbers and our bok choy to be grown on farms that are biologically diverse, that have a, a, a diversity of vegetables, a diversity of pollinators, a diversity of insects, a diversity of birds, and a diversity of farm animals. That's how we get uh, an ecologically smart farm. Item number three under what is ecological farming is you want trees and woody plants. For one thing, you know, if you have only one crop, 
then that's like, you know, the sun is an energy source, but it's the sun, if the sun only shines on one crop, that's not making very good use of the sun. To make good use of the sun, you need for the sun to shine on multiple layers. You need your leafy vegetables, such as your vegetable garden. You need bushes, such as blueberry bushes and uh, you know blackberry bushes. You need shorter trees, such as apple trees, uh, such as you're going to have in an orchard. You need taller trees, such as walnut trees. Somewhere in there you need, you might have hazelnuts, which are kind of, it's kind of a bush. So all of that makes good use of the sun. And another reason that, it, another thing about this that makes good use of the sun is that, you know, an annual crop does not take maximum advantage of the sun until well into the summer. Corn, in the old days anyway, was supposed to be knee-high by the 4th of July. Well, the 4th of July is two weeks after the longest day of the year. Meanwhile, your trees and your bushes leafed out in the spring in April or May. So in April and May, by the time April rolls around, your trees are leafed out, your leaves are absorbing that sunlight, and they are making much better use of that sunlight than if you just had an annual crop such as corn or soybeans. So, you know, sometimes I say, I, wanna, I, don't, I wonder what clean energy is. I, I'm not sure, you know, we need to do some solar power. I don't think it's clean. We need to do some wind power. I don't think it's clean. But one thing that is clean is when sunlight shines on trees and bushes and uh, annual vegetables and turns it into food. That's clean energy. So let's do that. And that was item number three on what is ecological farming. Item number four under what it takes to do ecological farming is annual crops, but in a rich biodiverse environment. I've alluded to this before, you know, tomatoes and cucumbers and lettuce and carrots need to be grown not in a monoculture, not in a monocrop, but they need to be grown in a diversity of plants, a diversity of pollinators, a diversity of farm animals, a diversity of wild animals. That's how you get your proper nutrition. That's also how you get what's called integrated pest management, which is where, you know, nature will provide your pest control. The reason we feel the need for pest control is that we've gotten rid of nature. The reason we have out of control locusts is that we have, you know, we got rid of nature. We got rid of all the trees. That's why you have even as far back as Bible times, you have the plague of the locusts because you don't have that biological diversity, which provides natural pest control. But if, if you get rid of the habitat, if you get rid of the plants that are needed for habitat, and then if you kill off the, the you kill off some of the bugs, you kill off all the bugs. If you kill off all the bugs, then that gives one type of bug a, a chance to come in and just take over. We need biological diversity because biological diversity provides pest control. 
So the, the title of this episode is How Ecosystems Work and Why It Matters. Why it ma- so with, with a little bit of a review, why it matters because ecosystems deliver to us so much of what we need. In fact, ecosystems deliver to us every, everything that we need. You know, we know that we need nature, but nature is nothing without life. Uh, ecosystem is just a fancy word for how life operates in nature. We, and, you know, biological diversity is kind of like a measure of how robust your ecosystem is. So we need that biological diversity. Otherwise, we don't have nature in any meaningful sense. So we've talked about why it matters, how they work, and what is ecological farming. You know, we the reason behind that whole topic is that we need to do our farming in a way that is friendly towards nature. Now, item number four, what can we do in the public sphere? I have five items here. won't be able to get to it all, but I'll pick it up next time. But a preview, what can we do in the public sphere? One thing is let trees grow. Stop deforestation. Stop deforestation as a result of the timber industry. Stop deforestation that results from the mining industry. Stop deforestation that results from construction like building roads, buildings, roads, and pipelines. Stop. We need biological diversity a lot more than we need all of these activities which aren't for people, they're for profit. Everything I named the out-of-control timber industry, mining, construction, all that is for profit, not people. We need to organize our affairs around people and planet, not profit and plutocrats. So, and somebody might say, well, what about all the jobs that are going to be lost? All those coal miners that need jobs, all the timber, those lumberjacks that need jobs. Well, for one thing, there are not very many lumberjacks anymore. They're chopping down forests with heavy machinery. But I'm glad you asked about the job issue. So what we can do if we choose to, if, if our politicians care enough and if the public is knowledgeable enough, we can create jobs. We can create jobs for what I call ecological forestry, ecological farming, and ecological landscaping. Those are kind of the three big categories of areas where if we understood how nature works and what we need, then we would be creating jobs, government jobs, government guaranteed jobs for ecological landscapers, ecological foresters, and ecological farmers. We can create jobs. If we don't, we're stupid. And if we, and, and we need to stop allowing our public officials to jerk us around by pretending that we need the best and the brightest to be mechanical engineers so that they can design bombs to blow people up. We need to insist that our public officials become knowledgeable about this and we need to insist that they prove to us that they care about nature. We need to insist that they prove to us that they care about biological diversity. We need to insist that they prove to us that they know how nature works, at least the basics 
at least enough to do what matters while we still can. What else can we do in the public sphere? Well, we can insist that our localities and our states stop mowing everything in sight. Mowing is expensive, it produces carbon, and it produces air pollution that's bad for our lungs and bad for the water. That's about all the time we have. We'll have to pick it up there next time. If you have any questions, comments, or observations, then please call or please uh, email info at theclimatereport.net. Thanks for joining me. Have a great day. Welcome to the Climate Report. This is Hart Hagen and we are on episode number 294. Today's topic is how ecosystems work and why it matters. First of all, what prompted this topic? Why is this topic a matter of particular urgency right now? Number one, I have a natural interest in how nature works. I have some expertise in how nature works. I'm president of the local Native Plant Society. I've presented on these topics. So I have some experience in communicating how nature works. I have a passion for communicating how nature works. And this is a very misunderstood area. I'm like, God save us from the fake environmentalists who don't even know anything at all about nature. And God save us from the real environmentalists who are following the fake environmentalists and who are listening to the fake environmentalists. And by fake environmentalists, I'm mainly talking about Wall Street and the people who have been bought by Wall Street. So you've got, I'm going to name three people that I, I like, but I think they've been bought. The three people I like, but I think they've been bought, are Al Gore, Bill McKibben, and Naomi Klein. All three have been very important in my journey. All three I sought out early on, like less about three years ago is when I first got a clue that climate was an issue. And not, not just an issue but a really important issue and really urgent issue. A couple years prior to that, I was into native plants and I started learning how ecosystems work and how bees, butterflies, and birds all kind of depend on one another and depend on native plants. And, but in early 2018, I sought out, like I knew Al Gore, I'd seen his movie, an inconvenient truth. I sought it out. I watched it. I read and watched other things that Al Gore had to say. wasn't too long after that. I found Naomi Klein, her book, This Changes Everything, a very important book in my journey. Naomi Klein is just a you know a wonderful journalist, investigative journalist, and a good writer, very thorough. I mean, her books are massive and very well researched and very well written. And Bill McKibben, good guy, has gone the wrong way. 
and they are among the real environmentalists that have been bought by the fake environmentalists because if you flirt with Wall Street, you don't change Wall Street, Wall Street changes you. For instance, Bill McKibben serves to promote some of the worst hedge funds on Wall Street, including the Green Century Fund. If you want to learn more about this, email me info at theclimatereport.net. I will send you the research that I have. There's especially one article written by Max Blumenthal and the title begins with Green Billionaires. So look for Max Blumenthal, Green Billionaires. You will easily find the article. It's very thorough. It's a 9,000 word article. It's very well researched, very well done. And it's only one of the reasons why I've concluded to my satisfaction that some of the real environmentalists have been seduced by Wall Street, they have been neutralized, and it's like God save us from the, the fake environmentalists and the real environmentalists who have fallen under their spell. And that includes some people locally that have said some of the most ridiculous things because they're listening to the wrong people, they're trusting the wrong people, and they're following the wrong people people. That's why it is extremely important and timely for us to understand how ecosystems work and why it matters. Because the fake environmentalists are wily, clever, devious, resourceful, and diabolical. The love of money is the root of all evil. And there's nothing I can think of that is more purely evil than the insidious drive to take nature and turn it into money and in the process destroy nature. Destroy, uh, there's nothing more insidious than destroying our very life support systems. And that is what Wall Street is doing with the help of some of the most famous environmentalists who I believe are very sincere, but they have been seduced and they are going the wrong way. For, for example, you can decarbonize the entire, you can decarbonize everything and still make the planet entirely uninhabitable. If we decarbonize, but still make the planet uninhabitable, have we accomplished anything? But what is a more likely scenario is that Wall Street acts like it's going to decarbonize everything, but they're not going to decarbonize everything because they're not capable of it and they don't have any desire. Just because you sell somebody a solar panel doesn't mean you've decarbonized anything. Just because you sell somebody a windmill doesn't mean you've decarbonized anything. Just because you sell somebody an electric car doesn't mean you've decarbonized anything. And I, will, I won't even have to tell you this if you'll follow me in a journey to learn how nature works so that we can be free from the charlatans that want to decarbonize while destroying nature itself. And like I said, the trick is they're not even going to decarbonize. A lot of the, a lot of the enthusiasm 
that comes from people like Naomi Klein and Bill McKibben and Al Gore is based on faulty research that came out of Stanford. Naomi Klein's book, This Changes Everything, is still a very good book, but it includes a major vein of reasoning that comes from Mark Jacobson of Stanford. And the, the study claimed that we were going to de, that we could easily, not easily, but we could feasibly decarbonize in 10 years, about 2030. And that's just, it's based on, it's been thoroughly discredited. I'm not saying he's a bad person. I'm saying the conclusions of Mark Jacobson's study turned out to be wrong, but yet a lot of people are still following those conclusions. That includes Bernie Sanders, it includes the, the, you know, the Green Party, Green New Deal, which goes back a few years. It includes Naomi Klein's This Changes Everything. All of which only underscores the urgency of moving forward with climate activism with a true understanding of how nature works, how ecosystems work, and without entertaining any illusions about how easy it's going to be without entertaining any illusions that say that says we're going to change but stay the same we're going to just add energy we're just going to switch to wind power and solar power and everything else is going to be the same that's not going to work that's why i say let's do what we needed to do anyway which is eliminate half the freaking economy Eliminate that half of the economy that does not serve the needs of people. It includes defense. It includes manufacture of brand new automobiles. It includes the manufacture of brand new airplanes. And it includes a rapid yet feasible transformation of industrialized agriculture. We could transform big agriculture tomorrow into something that works for people and we should but all of this stuff about biden's climate plan it's just green green capitalism and it has no interest in any real transformation it's just subsidized wall street so they can sell us a bunch of stuff and act like we're doing something for climate when these people have no intention of doing anything for climate. So let's talk about how ecosystems work and why it matters. It matter in, you know, item number one, why it matters, item number two, how they work, item number three, what we can do in the public sphere, item number four, what you can do in your personal life, item number five, what we should learn and insist our public officials learn as well, number six, what is ecological landscaping, Number seven, what is ecological forestry? And number eight, what is ecological farming? The first three we got into last time, but a quick review why it matters for us to study ecosystems, because ecosystems deliver to us everything that matters, including clean air, oxygen, food, pollinators, <laughs> including clean water, Nature does all that for us in the form of ecosystems, biologically diverse ecosystems. But what we're going through right now is the sixth mass extinction.
And the sixth mass extinction has emerged because of our utter disregard for nature and its biological diversity. So, and no, item number two, how do ecosystems work? In a nutshell, you need to start with native plants and avoid chemical pesticides and chemical fertilizers. In a nutshell, it's all right there. We need a diversity and abundance of native plants in our forests. We need a diversity and abundance of native plants on our farms. And we need a diversity and abundance of native plants in our landscapes. And in our farms, forests, and landscapes, we need to avoid chemical pesticides. In a nutshell, that's what we can do for nature and for biological diversity. In a nutshell, that's what we can do to save ourselves from the sixth mass extinction because nothing bigger than a squirrel survives a mass extinction. You and I are bigger than a squirrel. If the sixth mass extinction continues to occur, we will not survive and neither will our children. The good news is that we can change tomorrow if we understand this and if we pressure our public officials to either step up or step down. Let me say just a word about choosing the right native plants. Now this is a list of native plants that is unique to my area, but much of it applies in the eastern half of the United States. So this is the definitive list of native plants that are best for our ecosystems. Specifically, it's the native plants that are best for our caterpillars. But if you take care of your caterpillars, then the rest of the ecosystem will take care of itself. The reason is caterpillars are extremely important as bird food. They're also, you know, caterpillars become bird food and then the ones that survive to adulthood become butterflies and moths, which are pollinators. Typically, they're pollinators. They're not as good at pollination as bees, but they do some pollination. And, you know, butterflies and moths are beautiful. We should want that. So here's the definitive list. If you want this definitive, if you want me to send you this definitive list, email info at theclimatereport.net and I will happily send it to you. So this is the top 100 trees and plants that are best for our local ecosystems here in Louisville. If you want to find the list for your locality, email me. But this is the top 100. I'm going to go through the first 20 or so. Uh, number one, oaks. Plant an oak tree. Plant a native oak tree. It's the single best thing you can do for, uh, for your local ecosystems is to plant a native oak tree. Second best thing you can do is to plant a plum tree or a cherry tree, like an American plum or a black cherry. The third best thing you can do is to plant a birch tree. A birch tree like a river birch or a paper birch. Fourth on the list is a willow like a Missouri willow or a pussy willow or a black um, a Missouri river willow, a pussy willow or a black willow. 
not your non-native willow. Number five, maple tree, a native maple tree. Not a Norway maple, please, but a maple tree, a sugar maple or a water maple. Uh, number six, a crab apple. There are four native species of crab apples. It probably doesn't matter whether or not your crab apple is native. Number seven, hickory trees, pecan trees. Number eight, cottonwoods. Number nine, cranberries and blueberry bushes. Number 10, pine tree. Number 11, elm. Number 12, an alder. Number 13, hawthorn trees. Number 14, walnuts and butternuts. Number 15, basswoods and lindens. Number 16, blackberry, dewberry. Number 17, ash tree. Well, forget the ash because they're dying off and probably wouldn't do much good to plant an ash tree. Number 18, beech trees. Number 19, chestnut trees. Number 20, filberts, filberts and hazelnuts. And uh, number 21, goldenrod. Number 22, viburnum. Number 23, dogwood. Number 23, um, native rose. So we could go on. The point is that these top few trees and plants are ecological powerhouses. We should not only plant one or two of them, we should plant as many of them as possible in our yards and in our public parks. And then, so that will give us a diversity and abundance of native plants. Not only, not just any native plants, but the most productive ecological powerhouses, which are the top few. Every plant I named uh, supports at least a hundred local species of caterpillars. That's very important. Oak trees support over 400, almost 500. But this is what not very many people know. Not very many native plant enthusiasts know this, although much many more know it than used to. But in a nutshell, what we can do for our local ecosystems is to plant these ecologically powerful trees and bushes. And there are many more in the top 100. The top 100 also includes milkweed, goldenrod, includes hibiscus, includes geraniums, you know, wild geranium, native geraniums, includes buttonbush, ironweed, brown-eyed Susans, and black-eyed Susans. But this is what you need to know to know how nature works without a knowledge of native plants and which native plants are good in your area. We cannot hope to support nature, at least not our terrestrial ecosystems here in North America. So that's item number one, why ecosystems matter, and item number two, how ecosystems work. Item number three is what we can do in the public sphere. As much as anything else, what we can do in the public sphere is to understand what I just read you from my top 100 list. And please email me at info at theclimatereport.net to get this list. Or go to the Native Plant Finder at the National Wildlife Federation website. Or get How Nature Works, or get uh, Bringing Nature Home by Doug Tallamy. Or his latest book, Nature's Best Hope. Become a follower of Doug Tallamy, T-A-L-L-A-M-Y. See him on YouTube, read his books. Two of his books are even on audio now. 
So item number three, what we can do in the public sphere is understand which native plants are the most powerful in your area. Another thing we can do in the public sphere is let trees grow. Stop deforestation now, especially stop deforestation on public lands. This is how I know that Joe Biden is not serious about climate because he's got all this stuff about technology and economic growth and clean energy, but not one word about stopping deforestation on public lands, which he could do with the stroke of a pen. Nor is he opposed to fracking. Fracking is a major, fracking is disastrous in a lot of ways. Not least of all, fracking causes deforestation. So stop deforestation now. We need to stop deforestation because when forests are allowed to grow, they absorb carbon. And when forests are allowed to grow, they provide habitat for bees, butterflies, birds, mammals. Nature is nothing without biological diversity. We are decimating our biological diversity by allowing all this deforestation through timber, through mining, and through construction. Stop building buildings. Stop building roads. Stop building pipelines. Quote me. The new pipelines, new roads, new buildings being built are not for people. They are for profits. They are for the wealth aggrandizement of a tiny elite who do not deserve to run the show or ruin our planet. What else can we do in the public sphere? We can create jobs in three areas, ecological forestry, ecological farming, and ecological landscaping. Those are the three areas. If we cover those three areas, and we might include grasslands, but you know, ecological forestry, that's public lands. You know, we need people that know what an ecologically healthy forest is. And basically it's a diversity of native plants, free from chemicals and free from too many invasive species. We need to remove the invasive species from our forests. We need to make sure there's a diversity of high-powered native plants in our forests, both public and private. And we can create jobs. You know, Joe Biden's climate plan talks about creating jobs, but none of the jobs he's creating have anything to do with anything ecological. We need ecological farming. That's your small, organic, biologically diverse farm. That, deliver, that grows local food for local customers. We can create jobs in ecological landscaping. All you, and that, what's the opposite of ecological landscaping? That's all these mowing crews that, you know, that, 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 that roar in with lots and lots of machines, burn lots and lots of carbon. They use these machines that who knows how polluting and abusive is the supply chain that produces this machine. We need ecological landscapers that can teach people about native, that can recommend native trees, native plants, 
how to do pest control without chemicals. There's a lot of this work to be done. It's just not going to be done by the owners of massive amounts of capital because the owners of massive amounts of capital just want more capital. They don't want to solve real problems. They just want to solve perceived problems. What else can we do in the public sphere? We can insist that our public officials know about these issues and, and demonstrate that they care about these issues by the policies that they push. It's time to do away with politicians that are passive and nonchalant in the face of the sixth mass extinction. What else can we do in the public sphere? We can insist that our localities stop mowing everything in sight. Mowing is expensive. Mowing produces a lot of carbon. Mowing produces pollution that is bad for our lungs. It produces noise pollution that is not only bad for our ears and our nerves, but it drives away wildlife. And we need that wildlife. We will continue to destroy wildlife at our peril. So we've talked about what you can do in the public sphere. Now, what can you do in your personal life for ecosystems? Number one, you can buy food locally, but work for systemic change, but find out how to buy food locally, if at all possible, and then help other people, especially poorer people, buy local food. Number two, we can make caring a priority in our public policy. Our planet is being wrecked because caring is not the number one priority of our public policy. Caring for people, caring for nature, caring for our vital systems, these should be a priority in our public policy, but they are not. The third item is just say no to false ideologies because they get in the way of caring. American exceptionalism is a false ideology that gets in the way of caring. Free market economics is a false ideology that gets in the way of caring. Number four, what can you do in your personal life? Plant an oak tree. Number five, remove invasive species from our public parks. Number six, let your grass grow. When you let grass grow, it allows wildflowers and tree seedlings to grow. It's good for water filtration. It's good for wildlife. It's good for pollinators. Number uh, seven, grow wildflowers such as uh, milkweed for monarchs or goldenrod, brown-eyed Susans, black-eyed Susans. Grow wildflowers. And number eight, avoid chemical pesticides. Now, what should we learn and insist that our public officials learn as well? It's, it's time for our public officials in the face of the sixth mass extinction to stop being nonchalant, stop being cavalier, stop being casual. So we need them to learn about the top 100 plants, which I just shared with you. We need for them to be followers of Doug Tallamy. We need them to get and read his book, uh, Nature's Best Hope, 
or bringing nature home. Item number three on what we should learn and insist that our public officials learn, it's where to buy local food. Item number four on what we should learn and insist that our public officials learn is why we need to say no to more, more, more. So we need to just say no to the ethic of more, more, more until we are no longer in a mass extinction event. Number, item number five on what we should learn and insist that our public officials learn as well is what's the role of wild bees and what they need? What's the difference between wild bees and honeybees? Honeybees are not wild bees. Honeybees are livestock. What's the difference between honeybees and wild bees? And why do we need to care for our wild bees? That's about all the time we have. Thank you for joining me. If you want any more information on any of these topics, please email me at info at Have a great day.